Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Since 2010, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from top experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on the radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are also uh, live over on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. You can also email us your questions today at tedhart at tedhart.com. Uh, as always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. And uh, over here on page one, we have George Hamilton. Uh, George is coming to us live from CFRE International. Uh, George, welcome to the Nonprofit Coach. and. Uh, Bring us up to date with the CFRE Minute. Thanks very much, Ted. Happy to be back. Um, well, really what, what we've got exciting to share with your listeners today um, is just a follow-up on something Eva spoke about last time we were on, which is the, uh, the, new, the new CFRE online practice exam resource um, for people who are preparing to take the CFRE exam. Um, that is now in the final testing phase, and it will launch on our website soon. So listeners should, should check the website probably over the next couple of weeks um, to, to, to see if that is up and available. Um, I can also give some additional information about how it will work and what the cost structure will be, um, and it's very exciting. Um, in terms of cost, it's going to work on a subscription basis, which means that for you can purchase either a one-month or a three-month subscription to the practice, practice exam um, and then use it as much as you like during that subscription period, going back, going back and forth um, and, and practicing different aspects of the exam, or you can take an entire 100-question exam that would cover every knowledge domain, um, or you have the option of simply testing yourself on each knowledge domain individually. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility offered to the to the candidate for CFRE certification in terms of the types of, of practice exam they want to want to take, and the feedback from the from the service will allow people to track um, not just you know what 
what questions they got wrong and what the correct answers are, but will allow them to see how they're doing in terms in comparison to the knowledge domains covered on the exam um, so that they can go back to the resource reading list um, and really polish their knowledge um, in, those, in those specific areas as they prepare to take the CFRE exam. And I would imagine it can also help boost people's confidence. Uh, maybe, you know, folks who are maybe feeling a little rusty in taking exams, it can maybe lower the stress level, having the opportunity to take a practice exam in, in that format. Exactly, exactly. And the fact that you can go back to it multiple times um, following review and, and retake a practice exam on a specific knowledge domain or retake the whole practice exam um, really allows people to, to get a measure of where they are in terms of readiness, go back to the resources, um, study a bit more, and then, and then go back and get another measurement of, okay, am I ready now kind of thing. That's perfect. That's terrific. Uh, coming into uh, this is uh, Cap America or the uh, I'm sorry the uh, nonprofit coach radio show, uh, last uh, show here um, until our summer hiatus. We will uh, come back live September 12th. So uh, give us a little bit of a, a view over the next couple of months since we will not have any live shows. Okay. Um, well, we we're nearing the end of the second CFRE exam testing window um, right now. That, that window will run through June 15th. Um, now, the deadline to apply to take the exam in that window has already passed, but I did want to let folks know that the, the third window of the year is a little bit earlier this year. Um, the testing dates for, for CFR exam window number three this year run from July 15th to September 15th, um, and the yeah. application deadline in order to test in that window is July 5th. Um, so there is another there is another testing window coming up soon, um, and and a deadline in it by which folks would need to submit their CFRE application to test during that window. And that deadline again is July 5th. And maybe if uh, you know summer is a little bit slower for some offices, this is a particularly good time uh, to prepare for exam. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's part of the part of the reason that the. Uh, the exam committee and, and CFRE International decided to, to move that window a little bit earlier um, in the year, so it didn't start, you know, in August, which is prime vacation time. There's a there's a bit of you know half of July available as well as um, then extending half halfway into to September. Um, so you know this is the second year we've had four testing windows of two months in duration um, to provide as many opportunities as possible for, for candidates to find a, a convenient time that works within their work and, and busy lives um, in terms of being able to, to find a time to write the, the exam and go ahead and achieve that certification. Right, right. Terrific. Well, George, um, thank you for your updates uh, from CFRE International uh, with the CFRE Minute, and we look forward to uh, having you and your colleagues back uh, after summer uh, when we come back live in September. Great. Thanks for having us, Ted. Have a great summer. Thank you. Have a, have, have a great summer. Exactly. Um, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is page two. Mark Sutton is Chief Marketing Officer at FrontStream. As the Chief Marketing Officer, Mark oversees operations of the marketing and product management areas of FrontStream. Mark is a pioneer of online and peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, or as we like to refer to it, people-to-people -people fundraising. 
uh, for over 20 years. Um, he has been an expert in online marketing, fundraising, social media, and business development. Mark also served um, on the eFilanthropy Foundation's uh, Board of Trustees uh, from 2005 to 2007. Uh, and welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Mark Sutton. Ted, thank you. Um, really appreciate being back on the show. It's, it's great to be here. And of course, Mark, you uh, have the distinction of having been the very first guest uh, on the Nonprofit Coach uh, all the way back at the beginning of the show. I remember it well, and uh, you know it, it, it's incredible to see how how the show has grown. And uh, I think it's really it, it, there's so much happening in this space that uh, I can see the need and the reason why why people really gather around uh, a, a, a show like this. Yeah, it's it's uh, and now of course we have hundreds of podcasts available uh, for those in the nonprofit sector who want to learn. Uh, from the very best, uh, like yourself, uh, here on uh, on the Nonprofit Coach. Um, so, Mark, you have, uh, as a, as the introduction shared, been um, on the forefront of online fundraising, social media, uh, basically all use of uh, the internet and digital media uh, for nonprofit organizations. Let's start out before we get into sort of all the things I want to discuss with you today. Um, and just tell us where you are now um, and a little bit about uh, uh, your company, FrontStream. Sure. So, um, so FrontStream um, is uh, it, it's really an interesting place to be in this space right now. Um, it, it is it's brought together a number of products and brands that I think many of your listeners may know very well or may use. Um, and it's come together uh, through acquisition of uh, First Giving, which I started back in 2003, Artez, which I was, I was uh, president of for, for, for five years, both in the online fundraising space, GiftWorks, which is a terrific uh, donor management system uh, that is uh, used by thousands and thousands of nonprofits of all different sizes, um, Bidding for Good, which is uh, the leading um, online auction and event management platform uh, in the nonprofit sector, and also Truist, which is an employee payroll giving and workplace giving company. So over the last uh, uh, five years, these companies have come together under FrontStream. And you know, one of the things that we're really you know, proud to talk about is uh, over the past year, we've been working um, you know, really diligently to bring all of these products together as part of a single platform, one common platform. And in early April, we uh, launched and announced Panorama, which is the platform that brings all of these services together as part of one common platform. And, and that just helps uh, uh, nonprofit organizations be more efficient in their, their use of these tools uh, and, uh, and being able to not have to uh, perhaps manage multiple relationships, but be able to do all that on one platform. That's really right, and you know, I remember back to the uh, you know the early days of starting First Giving, and and even you know on the eFilanthropy uh, Foundation board, where you know these tools were just starting to come into play for a lot of nonprofits, and um, nonprofits would you know, maybe have one or two different services, and and now if you take a look at what a nonprofit is doing, they might have one service 
which they use for donor management, something else for peer-to-peer. They might use another service for the donate button. Uh, they might do another service for online auctions. Uh, they might do something else for grant management. And so what you, what you start to get into is through all this proliferation of, of point solutions, it's very difficult to um, know how to use them all, um, to uh, get all the data into one common place. Uh, and then once you do, even knowing uh, is the John Smith who bid on this auction the same person as the John Smith who gave to the capital campaign over here. So um, it, it really, more of the, the greater pro proliferation of point solutions you know, caused its own um, issues. And so bringing everything together is really aimed at simplifying uh, the, the, the solution set for nonprofits, but then also giving them a clear picture and a clear reporting on uh, their constituents. Ten years ago, uh, you and I worked on a very important uh, project that still has relevance today. Um, and I wanted to just remind our, our listeners that you are uh, one of the authors in uh, People to People Fundraising. And I'm holding up the, the book here for those uh, watching on, on Facebook and providing uh, the link uh, to be able to find the uh, book over on Amazon. Um, uh, over on Facebook, as well as the link to uh, FrontStream uh, today. Uh, your, um, your chapter, um, this, this book um, truly uh, sort of cutting edge at the time, but still very relevant today in terms of uh, a baseline for those starting in the industry, those that are trying to um, understand and make sense of social media, uh, what at the time we called Web 2.0 for charities, um, your chapter um, is, entitled, is entitled, How Individual Supporters Can Use Online Fundraising to Make a Difference. Um, wow, that is still a very relevant topic. Why don't you bring us up to date? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the walk, rides, runs, the marathon teams, the polar plunges are, are, are still growing very strong. We're seeing lots of other types of events uh, creeping, and uh, and there's events like you know the Tough Mudder or the Spartan races, which are more endurance type events, um, are becoming popular for fundraisers. And then we we'll also see we're also seeing more kind of in the way of crowdfunding, which is just individuals stepping forward, looking to do good for a cause that they care about. And so this is uh, kind of a driver that's become you know a very powerful um, component of peer to peer and getting people involved. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of the drivers continue to remain um, similar to um, what we put together in that book 10 years ago. It, it's all about the ask. It's all about the storytelling. I've uh, recently, in, in some of the personal fundraising that I've done over the last several years, I've really kind of dug in and, and done some of the, the analysis just to, you know, kind of, uh, and I can go through just some of what I discovered, kind of what worked you know, how, how do you go about raising a certain amount of, of, of money? And it's very formulaic. I still think that the common, you know, one common theme is helping people kind of overcome the fear, the apprehension of becoming a fundraiser and looking to make it easy. I think that the other thing that's really different than when that chapter was written is what's going on in the world of social media and just the degree to which individuals can more easily connect with friends. And so what I found in my fundraising is that 
the social media piece really augments the other aspects of my fundraising. You know, email is still a very strong component of it. That's how I get out to a lot of the people in my network, but they see what I'm doing on Facebook predominantly, a little bit on Twitter and some on Instagram, and it just reminds them of what I'm doing. And I've seen that have a very positive influence as well. And, and, Bringing all those tools together, and of course, you know, now these tools are no longer new, um, but I think still um, a little bit difficult for folks to understand exactly how they all work together or can work together and bring success. Um, before we sort of talk about that aspect of, of integration or not integration or, or, or how you, you time that kind of success, let, let's talk about compliance. Let's talk about regulations. Let's talk about the difference of a tax-deductible donation um, versus a contribution that may not be deductible. Um, tee that up, and I'll and I'll uh, and I'll chime in on that. But uh, I think it's an it's an, an an issue that has been sort of under the surface, perhaps, um, but is even more relevant, I think, in the internet space. Yeah, I think it really is. You're right, Ted. And, you know, it's just because money can be moved from point A to point B doesn't necessarily qualify it as a tax deductible donation. So I think as you're looking at um, uh, giving to a 501c3 uh, organization, and if you're giving directly to the organization and many of the services that are out there kind of enable the funds to go directly to the organization, um, they are able to issue a tax receipt. And so, you know, while in peer-to-peer, -peer, much of the motivation for giving lies around, Ted, me helping you do your event, um, the tax deductibility is still an important piece of this. Um, sometimes where it gets a little grayer is maybe I'm not giving to a 501c3 organization. Um, it, it's, it, maybe I'm giving to a cause that is charitable in nature, but not a charity. And so that would be a situation perhaps where it's, it's, it's not deductible. I think the other thing, as you think about, you know, the way um, some of the crowdfunding has come along, uh, the funds do need to go directly to the nonprofit organization. And that is really one of the key triggers for it being a tax deductible donation, as opposed to it going into somebody's PayPal account that then goes to the nonprofit. Right, and I think I, I think sort of unpacking all that for folks is that there there is a world of difference uh, for an individual or someone who just decides to um, maybe do good and uh, and raise money for charity to say I am now raising money for charity I will send that money to charity. Uh, what I think um, you know some folks don't understand is that that actually um, could become taxable income to the person who's collecting it who then is turning around and per perhaps earning a tax deduction for that full amount as opposed to each individual who contributed uh, being able to um, receive a tax deduction because it's an individual receiving that money, not the charity directly, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, perhaps a service like yours um, that, that might be either working with a donor advised fund that can then um, accept all the contributions and disperse them uh, to charities or might have individual contracts with individual charities and therefore can represent them and to, can tax receipt on their behalf so each individual then can earn uh, the tax deduction. Um, and, and all of those different models are 
A, possible. Uh, B, can be done in a regulatory compliant way. Um, but because oftentimes I think um, folks um, think that um, giving to charity is the same no matter how I do it, um, oftentimes someone can contribute and maybe not have the tax deduction that they think uh, they should get or that they should have gotten, um, or they're just completely unaware of the regulatory compliance that, that does oversee um, the charitable sector and therefore sort of get themselves into a position that they weren't looking to get into. Exactly right. Yeah. So, um, so back to your chapter and sort of all these issues of um, sort of cutting edge uh, strategies, data, techniques, um, you had mentioned email and social media, how they work together. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, certainly over the years there has been maybe a hope uh, at sort of a silver bullet. If I just do this, money comes pouring in. Uh, I think what most of us have, have, have learned and those who have been at this for a while know is that that doesn't exist, but that you can be hugely successful um, if you utilize um, techniques and strategies and platforms that have a track record of success. What would that look like? So what, what I found to be really effective, and, and you're right, there's not a silver bullet to this. It's, what, what I found is that it's um, multiple channels and multiple, uh, multiple asks. So you know, putting, um, you know, putting my hat on as a fundraiser and over the last a uh, number of years, I've, I've run an event um, here in the in, in the Boston area, Cape Cod, um, and I, I raised over three thousand dollars each time, and really kind of broke down the science of of, of how to do it. Um, and it was very much of a numbers game for me. You know, I found that mm-hmm. that um, my my average donation was you know somewhere in the mid fifty dollar range. And I also found found this, so so you can kind of figure out to raise a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, five hundred dollars, how many donations you need. The average donation it'll vary a little bit, event by event. Typically, what we see is that if it's more endurance type event, take a marathon for example, um, you know you might find the donations skewing slightly higher. Where if it's um, you know a walk or something like that or a shore shore event, sometimes the the average amount will skew lower. But the fundamentals still exist um, in terms of understanding how many donations you might need. Um, For me, I mentioned email was kind of the anchor. Um, It's it's how I connect with a lot of my my uh, my social network. I also found that it's a direct it's more of a direct ask to to an individual rather than just a posting on Facebook. Um, which I did a lot of as well. Um, so, so what I did is, is I actually cast a very broad net with the email. Um, and I found LinkedIn was an invaluable resource for me in terms of getting the email. So what, what I discovered yeah, but, and what many people... Let's stop yeah, there. Go ahead. Why, why, do you think, why do you think that was the case and what lesson to be learned from that? Uh, do you mean with, with the LinkedIn in particular? LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn in particular. So here's what I did with LinkedIn. Um, so with, with LinkedIn, I've been um, gathering connections, you know, over many, many years. And I, I think at this stage, I probably have over uh, 800 connections. And 
what LinkedIn, they offer a feature that lets you get access to all the emails for all your contacts. So you, so you can basically get access to all your contacts in sort of a spreadsheet type form, if you will. And many of your contacts will have, um, here's my current email address on there. So it tends to be the personal email address that doesn't change quite as much. So what I was able to do is rather than kind of go one by one um, sending in LinkedIn messages, I was actually able to go and make sure that I had the the most up-to-date email address for, for all the people that were in my network and connected to me. And so in sending out the emails, you know, the next question I had or dilemma really was, um, who should I send these to? Who shouldn't I send these to? And of course on LinkedIn, there's some people that you look at and maybe you don't recognize at all. You met them at a conference years ago and you have a very weak connection, if any at all. But, but what I found is that I was also able to get email addresses for people I had worked at, I had worked with 15 or 20 years ago. Um, high school friends, college friends, um, people that I had had a good relationship with, but it maybe was uh, it was a little older. And, and what I was really surprised by, I literally remember sitting there with my finger over the button saying, should I send an email out to this person? I said, why not? I'll send it out. Um, and I got donations. I was absolutely astounded by the number of people from your past where you had a relationship they just like to hear from you. They like to know what you're up to. They like the reconnection. They're very happy to contribute some amount. So I think that one of the lessons that I really took away from this was um, don't just look at the people you, let's say, are currently working with, your current neighbors, or of course your family and friends. You can extend much deeper beyond that to the people that you've had relationships with throughout your life. Mm-hmm. But but let's go back to some of the, the early messages, again, uh, holding up the, the book People to People Fundraising. The title itself speaks to what you're, you're talking about right now and what, you know, so much of uh, FrontStream and others are, are helping nonprofits is this notion of how do you help facilitate people connecting to people. And the message that you just shared, one personal example of, of those who have uh, agreed to or have chosen to link to you on, on LinkedIn uh, provide you with an opportunity for you as a person to connect with other people. But why does that work? What, what, what's the, what's the, the, the missing link for some folks um, who are trying to fundraise from people they don't know? What I found is, is it is about the connection. It's also about the ask. In a lot of cases, the, the, the way I made the ask, um, both in email and on social media, was really just an update. Here's what I'm doing. Um, wanted to let you know that this is what I'm doing. Um, this is what I'm supporting, and I would love your help. And, you know, in email, that was a very clear, a, a, a clear call to action. But I also, in, in putting it out on social media, and I think that this is one of the things that complements what was written in that chapter, Ted, is, um, you know, for me, it was putting it out there, just letting people knowing w- w- what I was doing. It was truly an update. And what I found is that people were like, oh, great, congratulations, uh, you know, great work that you're doing this. Um, it also kind of tied together sort of the multi-channel ask between people who I maybe sent an email to, and it just went off the bottom of the screen and was forgotten about to somebody saying, oh, yeah, you know, Mark's doing such and such. So you know, what I found is that kind of the multi-channel approach, not necessarily a hard ask. And I think this is where a lot of people um, get quite nervous and rightfully so in terms of asking friends and family and coworkers to support them. I think if you take the approach, and I think that this is generally um, where I've seen things going um, in, 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 
in development and fundraising in general, it's letting people know what you're doing. Um, then when you make the ask at some point, um, people are, are, are much more um, inclined to give. But if, if it's really in the, in, the, in the frame of updating, here's what I'm doing, people love to be in the know and be updated. And I found that that translates not only at the peer-to-peer level, but also at the organizational level as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, it's people connecting with people. It's, it's as you said, updates to things that you are doing, things that matter uh, to you. And, and I think that's what, um, you know, one of the messages that, that this show really tries to help nonprofits focus on. And, and I often feel like people can hear the message but not necessarily understand the message, is that it's connecting with those people who have connections. And that sort of goes all the way back to sort of the basic tenets of fundraising. If you were doing any sort of campaign, a, a major gift campaign, an annual campaign, the best way for you to succeed is to find those people who know people, those people who are willing to use their connections on behalf of the charity. Um, and that's exactly what you're doing is these people know you, they know who you are. Um, seeing what you're doing, uh, they may have interest in giving, they may not have interest in giving. You're not pushing them, but you're giving them the opportunity, but it is you using your reputation, um, you using your connections on behalf of a particular charity. And I think that for online, whether it's it's crowdfunding, whether it's people-to-people fundraising, whether it's social media, however you want to call it, all of those concepts are exactly the same. They succeed because people know people and they connect with people. That's exactly right. And I think it's, it, it, it's really nurturing those relationships as well, too. So, you know, it's, it's the people that you've had relationships with, um, so on a peer-to-peer level, but I also see this applying, again, more generally at the, at the organization level. I mean, one, one trend just to um, kind of bring in a parallel uh, in, the, in the corporate workplace giving side of things, you know, we're seeing um, a strong emphasis towards, uh, you know, volunteerism and non-giving engagement amongst employees. Uh, and it really yeah. is about, it's about building the relationship so that when there is an ask or when there is a, you know, a giving campaign, uh, you know, people feel that sort of teamwork, that, that, uh, that connection, and, and they're more likely to give. So I think that these fundamentals of, the engagement piece pertain not only at the peer-to-peer level, um, and, and that makes a lot of sense to all of us because we all know the relationships that we've got, but then I think it also applies to us professionally as fundraisers or CSR professionals where it's not just jumping right to the ask, it's, um, it's, it's the engagement piece. And I think that this is where the multi-channel piece comes in, and this is really where I think that you know we've seen a lot of the success around uh, social media, and it's been very hard. I, I, I understand to try to quantify the the benefit of social media. I think that we've gotten much better at it. You can see kind of referral codes and sort of see the 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 impact that social is having. But I think that there's this connection and this building the relationships um, and, and the engagement. It's harder to measure, but it's vitally important, not only at the peer to peer level, but also at the organizational level as well. What tips do you have for uh, maybe benchmarking or um, having our listeners have a sense of when they're being successful or or when to make a change or when to try something new? Um, I think the time to try things is, is 
is always. I mean, I find that, you know, my role as a marketer. And, you know, if, if I'm not trying something new, I feel like, you know, that's sort of a red flag for me. It doesn't have to be big things necessarily. You know, many of you have heard the concept of, you know, A-B testing. You know, we're testing, um, you know, different messages on the website and, and, and what, you know, is, is above the fold, what's below. Um, and so, so I would say in terms of trying new things, that that I, I feels like is at the top of the list. Whether it's new tech, new techniques with existing media that you've got, we're trying something that's completely new. You know, if you're not using Instagram or 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 some other medium, you know, you know starting to try those, jump in and get your feet wet. Um, I think that also understanding so sort of transition more to um, the the measurement. I think that this is something that. Um, you know, uh, you know, Frontstream as an organization, we've spent quite a bit of time on just understanding really what those key, those key drivers are, and I think that it's one of those things as you think about uh, what the key metrics are for your particular organization. Of course, dollars raised is probably one number of donors, but are there other types of metrics, um, engagement style metrics that you might start to to uh, measure as well and report on. It could be number of social media engagements, number of social media followers. All of these are kind of clues or indicators about how you're growing your your overall breadth of engagement. Mm -hmm. And setting some goals for that and setting some strategies uh, in place to to get there. Mark, we're going to take just a real quick break. I want to come back and I want to talk about how do you set some of those goals Again, how do you look at maybe your own trends? How can you learn from others? What are resources that are available? Um, And we'll be right back after this quick break. Have you ever wished you could take back an email you sent to the wrong person? or have that nagging feeling that your confidential message was forwarded without your consent? Do you sometimes email sensitive data even though you know most email is insecure? And we all have, because we're busy, and because in the world of email, there are no takebacks. Until now. Introducing Virtue, the simple way to send and receive secure email with confidence. Virtue is easy to install and use, and it works with your favorite email programs like Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo, MacMail, and more. When you hit the Send Secure button, your email is encrypted before it leaves your computer or smartphone. And even better, you can revoke a message at any time. You decide whether a message can be forwarded by recipients. You can track where your message is forwarded, and more. Download Virtue today and start sharing with confidence. Because everyone deserves digital privacy and security without hassle. We want to uh, just remind you again that this is our last live show uh, for the first part of the year. Uh, We will then be on summer hiatus uh, through September 12th, and then we will come back live. You can find all of our podcasts um, at tedhart.com. You can catch up on those uh, over the summer. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. 
And we're live here with uh, Mark Sutton, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at FrontStream. And Mark, before we went on break, uh, we were talking about sort of setting goals and, and beginning to develop um, a program that can be meaningful uh, for a nonprofit organization, for our listeners. Let's, let's continue down that path in terms of you were sharing some of your, your personal experiences and some of the, the lessons that you were able to validate um, by uh, reaching out to your contacts, colleagues, friends, family, um, using LinkedIn, where you were able to uh, reach out to them. But, but you were making the case that this was not a hard sell and that you think part of the not a hard sell is part of the, the way that you are actually successful online. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, what I realized in understanding how many um, how many donations I was going to need, um, I, I did realize that there were people that had given to me in the past, people that I knew would give to me, but for some reason or another, they didn't respond to my first post, they didn't respond to my first email. And I just, I, I understand, there's, there's just such uh, an overwhelming amount of email that hits our inbox. And, um, and, and, and posts on Facebook and Instagram, that it, it's easy to miss things. And so strategically, I understood that I was, it wasn't going to be just one ask. I, I, I probably wouldn't get there if I thought about, okay, I sent out this many emails and here's how many people responded. So I knew that it was probably going to be uh, uh, two to four asks. And depending on some years, I got started with my fundraising a little bit sooner and I, I, I did four updates. In other years, I was a little closer to the event, and I and I did two updates, uh, or three updates rather. And so for me, it was recognizing that um, it was gonna I was gonna take more of an update approach. Here's what I'm doing. Here's um, here's who, who I'm doing it for, and, and and why I'm doing it for this 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 cause. And here's how you can help. Um, and so just if if you if you'd like to, you can help support my efforts. I'm trying to raise this amount of money. So. That was kind of the technique that I used, and, and the approach I took was that it wasn't going to be the hard asks, but it was going to be more, here's almost tracking, I have decided to do this, uh, hey, thank you so much, I'm halfway to my goal, I couldn't have done it without all, all you people, and sort of thanking everybody. Um, and even the people who hadn't yet given sort of got this thank you email, said, oh yeah, I forgot to give to him, I wanted to. Um, but through all of the, and, and then also as I got closer, hey, I'm at my goal, thank you very much. And then, you know, right before the event, uh, like the day of the event, I'm, I'm getting ready to run this today. And, uh, you know, I'm so excited that, um, and I want all of you to feel part of it. Here's a picture and I'll put it up on Facebook. So it was really more just about sharing kind of what I'm doing. And I think that there was a genuine interest. And it's one of those things where I even see people, um, you know, after the fact that I hadn't really kind of been in close contact with them, they say, oh, I saw you were doing that. You know, you know it sounds like a great thing you've been doing. So I, I feel like the lesson here is, is kind of that, you know, more engagement style versus the perhaps older school, just a, a series of, of regimented asks. I think really sets up the ask and develops the relationship. And, and doesn't that really recognize and maybe respect the difference between, I mean, what, one of the things that we say in uh, the People People Fundraising book is that um, uh, email is not just electronic direct mail. Um, and, and isn't this really the divergence of sort of the tried and true direct mail letter uh, where you are making an ask and you're hoping that they're going to give, where Social media, there are more touch points. It's a softer sell over time. And as you're, as you're pointing out, it's 
really less about the ask than it is updating your um, activity um, and, and then giving people an opportunity to become part of, of that um, interaction with you um, because they know you as opposed to give to this charity. That's right. And I think that, that when I take a look at the way I use both, you know, email is where I was making the asks, even though it was a software ask, here's the link. Um, and on, on Facebook, it was typically, here's more about my progress. And I wasn't, I, I was just conscious about maybe being even a little bit softer on the ask, although I did include a link to my page so people could come see what I was doing, but it wasn't um, a please donate. And that was just my personal preference. Um, and uh, it, it, it did seem to work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is your, your, your personal experience looking at it from uh, your professional work and, and advice from, uh, you know, front stream and working with clients. Um, is this validating what you know to be true, the advice that you're giving, the advice that our listeners can take away today? I think it is. I think that, that what we're seeing now is is the fundraising effort is it's really a reflection of the individual. And you said it earlier on very well, Ted, which is like this, you know this is somebody stepping up. They're 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 putting their own personal reputation um, not on the line, but they're, they're 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 leveraging their personal relationships. And so I think that the things to consider there are just um, making sure that they've got the tools that reflect them very well. Um, tools that make it easy for them to connect with their different social networks, whether it's on email or uh, connect with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also the, 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 the tools that they use, that they're modern, that they're mobile friendly. You know, all of these things make a big difference in terms of, you know, when I send out an ask, it's sort of a reflection of me. So, I think that this is, is something for organizations to consider that what you're asking them to do is really, you know, reach out to their, their, their networks and making sure that um, all the way around that it is something that is a positive reflection on the individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and to the extent, so then it becomes the, the charity's role or responsibility in the overall operation to be inspiring action, to providing tools that allow people to make those asks, to, again, uh, holding, up, holding up the book here because I like the title so much, People-to-People -people Fundraising, um, because if that, as you're saying, is sort of the bedrock of what works online, then it's incumbent upon nonprofits not to be thinking about just how many asks I can make as a charity, but how many people can I inspire to make asks on my behalf? What kind of tools do I provide that are easy for them to use to do exactly what I want them to do, what I need them to do, and that is to reach out to the people that they know? I think that's exactly it. And I think that the other thing we've seen is there's kind of consistently, there's, I think there's sort of four buckets of fundraisers. So any, anybody out there that, that, that's run a fundraising event, um, it's almost every single event we see, it's how do you manage this flock of fundraisers that you've now got? And, you know, really, it's, you, you, you're sort of forced to manage them as a whole. I've got 500 walkers or I've got 50 polar plungers. But really, what you need to do is try to manage them in units of one. So this is something, this is an area that, that we focused on you know, more recently, which is to provide automated coaching tips, recognizing what people 
have done or what people haven't done to sort of give them tips. You know, if you think about, you know, going back to the LinkedIn analogy I, I use, like if you, any of you who ever, who ever use it, say your, your profile is 73% of the way done. And it's like, well, what, what else do I need to do? You need to upload your picture kind of thing. So, you know, taking that same kind of approach where the four categories that I, I referred to, you have some people who register and uh, 50% of people, here's a stat, um, across pretty much every single event that we run, 50% of people never become active fundraisers. And there's a whole variety of reasons for that. Some people mm-hmm. just want to sign up and do the walk, or you know, sometimes it's a little child and it's not appropriate for them to become a fundraiser, but a lot of times it's apprehension. So um, providing rules in place to help get people over that hump send out your first email. You know, the thought of trying to raise a thousand dollars can be sort of overwhelming. Um, but it's, it's send out that first email, get your first couple of donations. So, so that's the first group, the people that ne- that don't necessarily activate. The next group is people who, you know, get, get those first few donations and then they don't quite know what to do next. Maybe they just send out that one appeal and you need to, you need to manage and coach them differently. Um, the next group is the people that kind of get it. You know, they get right up um, pretty close and, and to also, their. Also, yep. Mark, I just wanted to, but also have appropriate expectations, right? And in terms of yeah. that's okay. You know, if, if that's the engagement that that particular person feels most comfortable with, that, that's part of the overall puzzle, but have appropriate expectations in terms of how do you bring the entire program to success? I think that's exactly right. I think that that that, that you'll have uh, individuals in each of these different uh, quadrants, if you will, and it's totally um, understandable that they're there. But it's helping to provide them tools so that they can feel as though they're giving tips and ideas and things that say, "Oh, okay, maybe here's the next step for me." Um, what you may find is the people who are, and then the next one is people who get really close to their goal. And then they start hitting their goal, and it's you know giving them the idea. Okay, don't stop at a thousand dollars. Why don't you raise your goal to fifteen hundred dollars and keep on going? And you'll find people mm-hmm. who just because you give them some of these ideas, they're able to stretch. And then the last group are the people that you just don't need to worry about. They're out there, you know, they're off the charts on the other side of in terms of their fundraising, and they've just got it all figured out. So. I think that one of the the real important points here, and I think that as as tech, as technology has evolved, we're getting down so that we're able to manage, you know, at the that, that unit of one more easily than we were able to years ago, where it was, you know, you'd send out an email to all of your fundraisers or all of your team captains or all the people who just hit goal, and and, and you have to send them out one shot um, to various big chunks. Where right now some of the the coaching tools are able to coach you a little differently, Ted, than me, uh, based upon when I've started, how much I've raised, um, if I haven't mm-hmm. downloaded things like the app, or if I hadn't posted out to Facebook. And I think that that really becomes a very empowering tool for all of the event managers out there who just, it's really hard to try to manage the logistics and the fundraising for everybody in the event. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's, that's, part of the overall picture too, again, back to realistic expectations, but also what you're, what you're sharing now is, is based on, you know, now many years of experience as opposed to, you know, that, that sort of real in time coaching that's individual to the, the way that you're interacting with the program wasn't possible a few years ago uh, simply because there wasn't enough data that would, actually allow that to be done in a helpful way. I think that's exactly it. I think that that's really, 
you know, the data-driven types of systems where um, it's not just tools that enable a fundraiser to manually configure things, but it's a way that the, the tools themselves understand behavior of the users and can, and can anticipate what's needed. And, you know, it's one of the fundamental reasons, you know, back to the Panorama platform that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's not just to make all the tools easier in one place and to get all the data flowing easily into a donor management tool. That's, that's certainly key parts of it. But I think where we see the real benefit is to start to understand the behavior of an individual and maybe the capacity of an individual in a very intelligent fashion. So, for example, if we knew that somebody bid $10,000 at the at the gala auction that you had this spring, and then you're going to make uh, an annual appeal or, or, or when they come to your, your donation page four months from now, you probably wouldn't necessarily want to display the $25, $50, $75, ask amount. You might want to start, you know, $100, $500, $1,000 or, or, or some other logic along those lines. So it's trying to gain a picture of um, your constituents' um, likes, um, tendencies, behaviors, so that you can really help present them with the right content, the right offer, the right engagement at the right time. And you know, think about any of you who, have, who shop on Amazon, which is probably all of us at this stage, where you go there and, and it sort of knows you. It sort of knows what kind of things to recommend or suggest, and it's uncanny. Uh -huh. And so I think that the same opportunity exists in fundraising, where understanding what people are doing, what they like, what their preferences are, I think helps uh, and, and presenting that and capturing that in, in a smart fashion is, is what a single platform ultimately will will drive at. And, that, and that's kind of the vision that we're, we're looking to put forward with the Panorama platform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that you, so part of, and again, it's using the best of, of the web, best of social media, um, and that, that each and every campaign benefits from the lessons learned from the prior campaign. Um, and, exactly. and each and every donor, if they come back and they're utilizing those tools, they're familiar with those tools, they don't have to necessarily be the professional fundraiser and remember all those lessons. Um, they're going to be reminded of those lessons. They're going to be, they're, you're going to share, you know, maybe who their best donors were and, and share, um, you know, some of the, the, the lessons that they learned from their last campaign because they wouldn't be coming back if they didn't want to be successful. Um, but it, it gives them an opportunity to do it in a very personal way um, and to do it, as you said, in, uh, sort of a, a low, soft uh, sell sort of way um, because, again, they're reaching out to their friends and their families and, and their colleagues, and they don't want to necessarily be seen as, as uh, you know, begging for money or uh, necessarily doing a hard sell to people that they really care about even though they want to support a charity that they care about. That's exactly right. Yeah. So um, think, thinking in those terms um, and looking at uh, the amount of time that we have left, what I'd like to do is, is ask you to sort of break down and thinking of our audience. Um, they're coming into summer. Um, we're going to have a break here on this show. We're going to be coming back in the fall. Um, and that's going to be, you know, go time uh, for, for our listeners. So those who are listening to us now, those who will be listening to podcasts, what should they be doing now to prepare and plan for a successful um, end-of-year campaign? That's a great question. And I think that, first of all, you're right to bring up end-of-the-year right now. 
And I feel like when people get back from summer and you're, and you're sort of, you know, kicking off and you're into early fall, you know, the, the scramble is already upon you. So, so I think that this is a great opportunity to plan what you're going to be doing, what your campaigns look like um, December, if that's kind of the appropriate timing for you. Um, you know, the other thing that people are factoring in as well is Giving Tuesday. And I think that some organizations have started to see some some good success with that as a catalyst. Um, and I think if that's something that um, you'd like to try or your organization is into, it's very it, it's actually a very easy type of program to put in place. It just requires a little bit of forth, forth, forethought. And I think that this is the right time to go about doing it. It's a one-day event setting up typically a, a, a mail campaign, a social media campaign, driving people to a specific Giving Tuesday page where you've got a goal set, I think is one tactic that we've seen more organizations look to employ. Um, as well. I think that the other thing just in terms of year-end year giving in general um, is going to be to think of uh, a, a multi-channel approach. And I think that this is something that, that many of you have probably already put in place, but I think as you think about not just the, the forms that you've got on your website, but you, you, will, you will likely be sending out letters in many cases, emails, think about what the tie-in is with your your Facebook and, and and how you do that. I think that another area that some people um, look look for as well, and, and we've seen more activity on, is around um, is around online advertising. Something that people have started to try, um, specifically nonprofits. So it's targeting people with Facebook advertisements. Uh, you can do the same thing on Instagram. Uh, you can also do the same sort of thing on LinkedIn and, of course, Google. But I think that that's something that we've seen many of the organizations that we work with starting to try. It tends to be around events, awareness months, and possibly year-end giving as well to try to identify who the profile of your, um, you know, the constituents that really gravitate to your organization. And back to, to your, your point earlier about, you know, what to try, that might be something to give a some 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 thought to and try mm -hmm. one of those channels to see if it works mm -hmm. yeah and and uh, just for since you raised it and i'm so glad that you did uh giving tuesday this year is november 28th um and i think that that again planning now for what will um your giving tuesday appeal be um and that's a that's a terrific time to give i always thought even before Giving Tuesday, that Thanksgiving is a uniquely good time uh, to give thanks and to give people an opportunity to give thanks. Um, obviously, holiday time um, is often a traditional time, but of course, you know, people celebrate holidays in a lot of different ways. So, you know, holidays for one donor might not be necessarily the holidays for others. So, um, you know, maybe Thanksgiving is even, even uh, you know, an easier uh, time uh, to to make that that appeal, but the planning has to happen now. Um, what is the outreach? Um, how, when? Um, what are the tools that are going to be used? And we just have a few minutes left, but can you talk a little bit about what our listeners should keep in mind in terms of uh, perhaps the interaction of online and offline? I think that, I think that that's a really important one as well. I think that you know on, uh, offline, I think gets dialed back in some cases, um, in a lot of cases, but I think in, in, in other ways, you know, offline, and if I take offline to mean, um, you know, not just, 
you know, letters and, and, and printed matters, which it certainly does. But I think also just the social gatherings, the galas, those types of things, I think that those events, I think those are all, in my mind, offline as well. I think that it's tremendously valuable to keep um, doing those. I think in some odd way, some of the offline, um, you know, mailings maybe have prevalence where everything seems to come to us in our inboxes, our, in our in our email inboxes, and it becomes increasingly difficult to get through to people in their inbox. Might not be a bad time to um, you know go back to some of those printed materials. So I think that it's one of those things where interesting. With the yeah, all the so much tools. has moved to. Yeah, so much has moved online and so much is email that, that a well-placed direct mail now almost has more prominence, uh, whereas a few years ago we were talking about, you know, getting out of people's post box and into their inbox. Um, you know, perhaps maybe there is a rebalancing uh, that needs to take place, and maybe this is the season to think about that. And don't, don't throw the pendulum too far back the other way either. Completely agree. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, we, we just have uh, about three minutes left. I'd like uh, to accomplish two things. Uh, your final advice for our listeners, again, thinking of the, the time of year and planning and, and what they should be doing now, uh, but also how can our listeners reach you? Um, well, well, terrific. I mean, first to get the housekeeping out of the way, people can reach me. You know, the you know, I, I work for FrontStream, and, and, and our website is just uh, frontstream.com. So you can go there and, and learn more about what we do. You can reach me personally. You're welcome to email me, um, and it's mark.sutton at frontstream.com. I'm also on Twitter, um, Mark Sutton at uh, at Mark Sutton rather. So you can reach me either place. Uh, connect with me on, on LinkedIn. You'll find me. And in terms of um, just just the things to think about for the year end. I guess I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of you know, trying some different things and, and there's the tools out there are so easy and readily accessible. I would say, try something new, um, whether it's A-B testing, something that you're already doing, trying a new channel, uh, let's get Instagram going, or it's, you know, let's set up that Giving Tuesday page or that Awareness Month page that we um, you know, haven't really kicked off yet. I think those all make a lot of sense. Yeah, terrific. Mark, thank you uh, for being our, our guest uh, again, for updating uh, your chapter and your advice from People to People Fundraising. We have posted uh, your web link uh, over on uh, Facebook, which you can find at uh, facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Um, that is our show, final show for the beginning of the year. We will be back on September 12th live. Uh, don't forget uh, that you can catch up on all of our podcasts uh, on iTunes uh, or at uh, tedhart.com. Mark, thank you for being my guest again today. Thank you, Ted. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.